You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Doxing, trolling, and censorship in a hybrid war. Western organizations remain on alert for a Russian cyber campaign. Known Russian threat actors continue operations against Ukraine proper, the Borat rats described. Welcome, the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Cyberspace and Digital Policy, National Supply Chain Integrity Month. Your wild ways will break your mother's heart. Rick Howard weighs in on Shields Up. Josh Ray from Accenture on ideological differences on underground forums and fast food as an OPSEC issue. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, April 4th, 2022. As the week opens, news of Russia's war against Ukraine is dominated by accounts of atrocities that have come to light as Russian forces retreat from areas they'd occupied in the northern parts of the country around the capital. The main intelligence directorate of the Ukrainian Ministry of Defense has released what appears to be personal information on 620 people it claims are FSB officers working on Russia's war against Ukraine. The data exposed includes names, phone numbers, addresses, vehicle license plates, SIM cards, date and location of birth, signatures, and passport numbers. Security Affairs points out that the authenticity of the data can't be confirmed. Hacktivists associated with the anonymous collective tweet that they've succeeded in doxing the Russian Orthodox Church. Anonymous TV said... Hackers leaked 15 gigabytes of data stolen from the Russian Orthodox Church's charitable wing and released roughly 57,500 emails via DDoS Secrets. DDoS Secrets noted that due to the nature of the data, at this time it is only being offered to journalists and researchers. Vice describes Cyberfront Z, a troll farm that hires social commenters, spammers, content analysts, programmers, IT specialists, and designers to run social media posts and other comments intended to advance Moscow's line concerning its war against Ukraine, and to do so at scale, with fake persona deployed to give the impression of a mass movement. Cyberfront Z's home base and public face is on Telegram, but its trolls operate in other media. It's noteworthy that the front's operators need to fire up their VPNs to gain access to other largely blocked social networks, and also noteworthy that the VPNs themselves are currently in bad odor with the Kremlin, 
Wary as it is of the VPN's reputation for anonymous circumvention of censorship, some Russian influence operations are more tightly focused. Vice reports elsewhere that the Security Service of Ukraine last week exposed a bot farm operating out of Ukraine, but according to the SBU, remotely controlled from Russia. The bots were smishing Ukrainian soldiers with resistance's futile texts. They said, The outcome of events is predetermined. Be prudent and refuse to support nationalism and leaders of the country who discredited themselves and already fled the capital. There's a triple exclamation point emphasis in the original. The guy whose apartment they found the troll's server in said he had no idea what was going on. Telephone tip hotlines, websites, and telegram channels have been established to encourage and enable good citizens to report those whom President Putin has described as traitors. The Telegraph observes that it would be inaccurate to conclude the denunciations were explicable purely in terms of state pressure. The paper quotes OVD Info, which the Telegraph describes as a Russian human rights organization, to the effect that such denunciations arise also from a broad popular base of support. The Telegraph said ordinary people are getting involved in the repression too. This is being driven by ordinary Russians. Massive cyber attacks of the kind widely expected have yet to materialize, but Western intelligence services continue to warn that Russia can be expected to be keeping its options open in this respect. U.S. Deputy National Security Advisor Ann Neuberger spoke with NPR on Friday. We continue to see evolving intelligence, as we talked about last week that the Russian government is exploring options. And we continue to, most importantly, double down in working closely with the private sector to share that sensitive threat intelligence and really try to create the urgency for action and the call to action to put in place the cybersecurity measures that would prevent that from being successful. Deputy National Security Advisor Neuberger also cautioned that there was no specific intelligence that such an attack was imminent, but that the private sector should take steps to increase its resilience should such attacks take place. Known Russian threat actors have been active in the theater of operations. Researchers at Malwarebytes report UAC-0056, also known as Saint Bear, UNC-2589 and TA-471, is a cyber espionage actor that has been active since early 2021 and has mainly targeted Ukraine and Georgia. The group is known to have performed a wiper attack in January 2022 on multiple Ukrainian government computers and websites. Earlier in March, CERT-UA reported UAC-0056 activity that targeted state organizations in Ukraine using malicious implants called Grimplant, Grafsteel, as well as Cobalt Strike Beacon. Following up with that campaign, SOC Prime and Sentinel-1 have reported some similar activities associated with this actor. In late March, the Malwarebytes threat intelligence team identified new activity from this group that targeted several entities in Ukraine, including ICTV, a private TV channel. Unlike previous attacks that were trying to convince victims to open a URL and download a first-stage payload or distributing fake translation software, In this campaign, the threat actor is using a spear phishing attack that contains macro-embedded Excel documents. Malwarebytes has a blog post which provides technical analysis of the new campaign. 
Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. Cybel describes a new and unusually capable remote-access Trojan Borat Rat, an homage to the Sasha Baron Cohen character, which the researchers call a triple threat, combining, as it does, the functionality of a rat, spyware, and ransomware. Bleeping Computer reports that Borat's place in the C2C underground market is unclear. It's not known whether it's being sold or being freely traded, but it seems to be spreading through the underworld. The U.S. State Department today stood up its new Bureau of Cyberspace and Digital Policy. The Bureau will be led initially by Jennifer Bacchus, a career foreign service officer. She'll serve as Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary for the CDP Bureau until the Senate confirms an ambassador-at-large to lead the organization. CISA continues to set the table for a meal of best practices— April is National Supply Chain Integrity Month, and CISA's focus is on the information and communications technology supply chain. They say information and communications technology products and services ensure the continued operation and functionality of U.S. critical infrastructure. However, recent software compromises and other events have shown the far-reaching consequences of these threats. The BBC reports that two teenagers, one 16, the other 17, were arraigned Friday at London's Highbury Corner Youth Court on charges connected with the activities of the Lapsus Gang. Both are charged with fraud as well as a variety of computer-related offenses. Both have been released on bail. Their names are being withheld on account of their tender years.
And finally, to return to the war against Ukraine, unsecured Russian tactical communications appear to remain an important source of detailed information on the movements and condition of Russian units. Wired describes the intercepts and what they reveal. It's not just tactical comms either. Gustatory comms are also spilling the metaphorical beans. The Verge reports that Yandex Food, a food delivery subsidiary of the Russian internet giant Yandex and, roughly speaking, Russia's equivalent of Grubhub or DoorDash, disclosed in early March that it had sustained a data breach that exposed customer information. The company blamed the dishonest actions of an employee for the leak and reassured customers that their login credentials and payment information, at least, weren't compromised. About 58,000 diners were affected, and the Russian powers that be aren't happy. According to Reuters, the information regulator has restricted access to an online map that appeared on March 22nd, where the names, phone numbers, and addresses of Yandex Yeda customers was exposed, and said Yandex faced a fine of up to 100,000 rubles. It's about a thousand bucks. There's also woofing about a class action suit on behalf of injured diners. The fine may be low, but the data is interesting. Bellingcat has sifted through it and found that a lot of deliveries go to military and intelligence personnel. The GRU seldom appeared in the data, but the FSB was well represented. Maybe the GRU has better OPSEC than its sister agency, or perhaps the military intelligence types just tend to brown bag it. The data exposed betrayed both identities and, indirectly at least, affiliations. Particularly interesting are the instructions the purchasers gave the delivery people on how to get through various checkpoints. Things like, go up to the three boom barriers near the blue booth and call after the stop for the bus 110 up to the end. Or as another diner wrote on their order, close territory, go up to the checkpoint. Call number 10 minutes before you arrive. Well, what are you going to do, right? It's not like you're going to just walk over to McDonald's for that Happy Meal anymore. It's always my pleasure to welcome back to the show the CyberWire's own Rick Howard. He is our Chief Security Officer and Chief Analyst. Uh, Rick, the CSO Perspectives podcast over on the pro side has been on hiatus for a couple of weeks now. But, um, you know, we've had recent developments in the war in Ukraine, and I know you've got some thoughts about how all network practitioners should be thinking about potential Russian cyber attacks in the near future. What do you got for us today? Yeah, hey, Dave, and that's right. Uh, the, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency, or CISA, issued their Shields Up warning on 21 February this year. And by the way, my hat is off to them for using a Star Trek reference to warn of a pending Russian cyber attack. How great is that? Come on. Yeah. You're going <laughs> to yes. like that part. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so a couple of days ago, though, P President Biden encouraged private sector companies to strengthen their cybersecurity against a potential attack from Russia. And he said, I quote, it's part of the Russia's playbook, end quote. Hmm. And he's right. With the Ukraine war moving into a new phase, and specifically as allied countries in the West push President Putin further and further into a corner with sanctions and whatnot, it seems likely that he might lash out against the U.S. Well, so the Shields Up program encourages all U.S. organizations that if you've been delaying cybersecurity projects for whatever reason, now is probably a good time to put those on the front burner. 
Well, absolutely, Aaron, and that's excellent advice. And here at the CyberWire, we support CISA's efforts to get the word out on these general purpose recommendations, things we all should have done by now, even before this Russian situation. But let's face it, these things are things that we've known in the security community to do for at least a decade. So if you haven't done them yet, the chances that you will get them done, say, in the next few weeks before the Russians do something catastrophic are pretty low. Hmm. So may I offer a little different advice that you can do this very moment that will be more impactful, let's say. By all means, let's have it. (laughs) All right. So for the last two years on the CSO Perspectives podcast, we've been talking about four cybersecurity first principle strategies. Two of them, Zero Trust and Resilience, would fall under the umbrella of the Shields Up program. These are general purpose strategies that would help against all kinds of adversaries, you know, criminals, hacktivists, nation states. But one strategy, intrusion kill chain prevention, is tailor-made for this unique situation that we find ourselves in. Hmm. And the difference between intrusion kill chain prevention and zero trust is that on the kill chain, we are deploying specific detection and prevention controls on whatever security tools you have in place precisely designed for that known threat, in this case, Russia. And we have a fantastic collection of open source intel on everything the Russians have done in cyberspace for the past 20 years. Just wag on over to the MITRE ATT&CK framework wiki and look up the Russian adversary groups and campaigns. There's like 19 of them, and at least seven of them have been active this year. You know, you've heard them all. All of the bears, like Fancy, Cozy, Voodoo, and Primitive. And a few new groups we haven't heard of before, like Walleye, Zabrosi, and Earworm. And in the attack wiki, MITRE lists the tactics, techniques, and procedures for most of them. So my recommendation is for all network defenders to go through that list and install as many detection and prevention controls you can come up with for all of those Russian actions across the kill chain on the security stack that you already have in place. Now, I hear the naysayers out there, Dave. You know, there's a chance. <laughs> no, in cybersecurity, naysayers? No. <laughs> <laughs> so I agree that there's a chance that Russia will come up with an entirely new campaign across the kill chain that we've never seen before. But you know what? The odds aren't that great. Instead, they will most likely cobble together a bunch of their greatest hits and use those. So if you have prevention and detection controls in place, For as many of the known Russian tactics, techniques, and procedures as you can, your chances of preventing a successful Russian cyber attack against your organization is pretty high. All right. Well, I mean, that's excellent advice. But what about for, say, smaller organizations, those those folks who don't have SOCs or intelligence teams? They're going to find this difficult to navigate. What, What should they do? Well, I mean, that's a great question. And my advice to those organizations is they should be turning to their own security vendors now and demanding to know the specific ways their products are protecting against the Russian adversary playbook. You know, the Amazons, the Googles, the Microsofts, for sure. But also all those pure play security vendors like Palo Alto Networks, Checkpoint, Cisco, and a gazillion others that are out there. The bottom line here is that we've been looking at the kill chain philosophy for over a decade. The Lockheed Martin researchers published their paper on it in 2010. This year, 2022, is the use case for the model. We're pretty sure the Russians are coming. We know how they operate in cyberspace, and we're all going to look pretty bad if the Russians successfully attack us, and we didn't have any of those protections in place beforehand. All right. Yeah, well, wise words, huh? 
<laughs> well, I don't know about that. Well, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> That's right. That's right. right. I'm just imagining you with your hands on your hips saying, I told you so. I told, I told you, so. you. Yeah. I'm wagging my finger at everybody That's right. right now. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. We'll get to it, folks. Rick Howard, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, sir. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Josh Ray. He is Managing Director and Global Cyber Defense Lead for Accenture Security. Josh, it's always great to have you back. Dave, uh, happy to be back as always. You know, I know you and your team, uh, as lots of people are, keeping a close eye on the conflict uh, between Russia and Ukraine. I wanted to check in with you today to see what sorts of things you all are monitoring on underground forums. Yeah, Dave, this is really kind of a first for us. And, you know, in the sense that we've been kind of in this mission space uh, for, shoot, now over at least over a decade around monitoring underground forums. And I think for the first time, we've really started to see an ideological split amongst cyber criminals. Now, you see it all the time with the hacktivists and things like that. But we're talking about financially motivated criminals that are now choosing sides. And that's got some really significant implications um, around targeting, around capability uh, that I think, you know, your your listenership really should be aware of. You know, I, we've joked for a while that there's no honor among thieves. Um, and and so it's interesting for me to hear you, you describe some of these, uh, you know, these fractures that are happening among this community. Any specifics you can share with us? Yeah, it's actually, I mean, talk about no honor among thieves. I mean, there's even one forum that uh, one of our researchers was, was telling me about where, you know, instead of actually selling wares um, or looking to, you know, profit from some of this activity, they're offering places to stay for some of these different refugees that are coming out of Ukraine. Um, but, you know, the the big shift, I think, for, for us and what we've seen is really around this idea of, you know, are you actors, which, you know, um, and, and a lot of these forums, which have banned some of these uh, ransomware affiliate uh, cartels because of the heat that was brought on from a lot of law enforcement are now welcoming them back in, right? So the gloves are really starting to come off here. We're starting to see um, activity around actors that are are leaking data instead of actively selling it. Um, they're giving significant discounts on some of the things that they would normally look to, um, you know, drive, you know, high degree of profit on as well. Um, and from a targeting standpoint, I think the, the thing that's most disturbing is that for a while, critical infrastructure was, had abated or the targeting of critical infrastructure for a while. But now we're starting to see that come directly back into the fold. So Western critical infrastructure targets like oil and gas companies but especially financial services and insurance companies are looking to be targeted because I think they're being viewed as uh, that kind of quote unquote working arm of the sanctions. So this is something that especially I think folks need to be uh, worried about. And is this a, a response to, to some, as you say, the, the sanctions and um, you know, the financial squeeze that's going on for folks who are in Russia? I mean, I think part of it, but it's, I think it's primarily politically motivated, right? I mean, mm. um, they're 
really lining up as far as either pro-Russian or pro-Ukrainian um, and taking their their capability and their wares with them. And here's the thing to, to really kind of think about. You know, when we first started watching hacktivists way back when, um, some of the other, you know, hackers in the forum would kind of laugh at some of the capability. This is early on, you know, um, you know, 10 plus years ago, and they were using tools that were, you know, commoditized or, or whatever. Now we're talking about cyber criminals that are highly technical, that are highly capable, that are have the resources to pay, you know, millions of dollars for zero-day exploits, and we've seen them do that now and over the past, you know, few months. And with the with the access and the ability to impact companies uh, significantly, right? So it, it's kind of bad enough now that we're starting to see you know individuals um, line up you know ac- across these different um, ideological lines. But when they start to cross collaborate or organize, I think we're going to see a, a heightened threat, especially to uh, Western uh, corporations. You know, I think a lot of folks are left scratching their heads that we haven't seen more cyber activity than we have. Uh, what's your reaction to that? Um, I, I think the fact that the kinetic attack is, uh, uh, has been kind of methodically plodding along, um, there maybe hasn't been a need to, uh, to bring out some of those uh, cyber weapons that they might be kind of holding close to the chest. But also, you know, the fear of invoking additional impact from, say, like Western countries like the U.S. or or other NATO countries could be also, you know, playing into that as well, too. Like once they start to, to significantly target critical infrastructure in those countries, uh, we may see an ex- escalation. And I think everybody's kind of, you know, a little bit leery potentially of that happening. Yeah. All right. Well, Josh Ray, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, where I contribute to a regular segment called Security. Ha! I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Liz Irvin, Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpeep, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.